Hey there, welcome to Film Streak. My name is Rob. And first of all, I just want to say thanks for checking this out. If you've been to filmstreak.com, you've seen other episodes, maybe you subscribed, maybe, maybe you're just checking this out. Um, we're new, relatively new to Substack, so maybe there's some some people who are finding it from there. You know, I, I, I've tried to do this in a, in a way that um, allows me the, the opportunity to talk about films. I do it anyway, you know, I, I with friends or just people that are around. I just talk about movies that I've watched. and. I watch so many movies sometimes that uh, I forget <laughs> not everybody does that. So uh, I want to jump into this episode and I'm really going to look at, I, I'm going to look at some animated films again. You know, I did that just here recently in the previous episode, but those are older films. That was from kind of a different era. And here I'm looking at some films that um, let's just call them 21st century, you know? Ever since the year 2000, a lot has changed in terms of animation, animation styles, animation, uh, even the genres of animated films. You know, so much has gone into like family and, and kids territory. You know, Pixar really changed the game in the 90s. And nowadays, like Disney, I don't think they even put out any kind of traditional hand-drawn style animation anymore, or at least not in big feature films. Now they remake them all as live action, right? So here, uh, I, I'm not going to focus on that, but um, I'm also not going towards uh, anything necessarily like anime or, or any of that genre quite yet. I do want to do that at some point down the road. Here, what I want to talk about is maybe how animation with more obscure titles and and styles and stories uh, how it's evolved into different lanes and different techniques and you know some of the films i talked about in a previous episode they were uh done with hand drawn animation some were done with rotoscoping you know big uh a big advance there was when ralph bakshi in the seventies really kind of made this work rotoscoping for animation. And it's done sometimes for live action as part of like visual effects. But here, some of these films I'm going to talk about, they use that and maybe to different effect, maybe for different reasons. So we'll kind of look at that. Let's get into this. Um, we're going to pick up where we left off on the film streak. We are at, Film streak number 190, Heavy Metal 2000. It was first discovered on Earth. Some say we can never win against it. Some say we've already lost. And some call it by a name. Heavy Metal 2000. There's a new warrior in the galaxy. Don't talk, don't touch, don't even breathe. She's armed to the teeth. Who's gonna pay for all this? And she'll take you down, big time. You shouldn't have done that. It's not for the timid. It's not for the meek. And it's definitely not for your parents. Over 200 dirty words. You're not from our world. No way. 
This is Heavy Metal 2000, and it kicks ass. Featuring stellar music from the most lethal names in heavy metal, it'll push you to the limit and drive you to madness. The insanity has to end. Heavy Metal 2000 rocks on video and DVD. Why didn't you tell me that before? It'll suck your mind dry. All right, so here's what I want to say. This film has different elements to it and different layers to how it came to be, I think. And the most notable being that this is a sequel to a film that came out in, oh, I want to say like 1980 or 1982, um, titled Heavy Metal. And that film itself was based on a magazine, a, a fantasy illustrated magazine that has been around for decades. And it features stories by artists and writers and uh, all types of genres, all types of styles. And for me as, as an artist, myself, illustrator, this has, uh, it, it has had such a profound impact on, Understanding the the possibilities of the stories you can tell and and the style that you can tell your stories with. So heavy metal, the magazine itself, the publication. Uh, for me, it's a very kind of a formative piece of media. In my lifetime, certainly in my childhood, teenage years, whatever. Um, to see that they made a feature film, and this is the only way I'm going to be able to talk about it because I saw that a long time ago. Um, but I do want to kind of touch on it here. You know, that film, it used the medium to try and replicate a little bit of what the magazine does. You know, the magazine features different stories by different artists and, and writers and storytellers. And so the film, the original film, it took a similar approach in, in the way that it was about different stories and they're kind of framed through this overall uh, narrative device. And for me, that was the strength of that film. You know, it played with so many different tones as you move from one vignette or one short into the next. And whether it was the music or the characters or even the, the a actual art style, all those things changed and gave you like some nice variety. I think over the years, I've found that that is what I enjoy the most about that film. Some of the stories themselves, not necessarily, you know, some of them are really great and really stick with me, but uh, overall it's more the approach, the narrative approach to how to, how to kind of replicate or, or at least um, translate the idea of the magazine into a feature film. And it's not the first time it's been done and it's certainly been done with live action, you know, anthology type films, uh, uh, it's nothing necessarily new, but for animated features, I really thought it was a different, it was a different take on it all. And the fact that, you know, there was no corner of that film that was designed for uh, younger audiences or children or families necessarily. It was much more for the magazine audience, which were older and a little more mature, a little more um, open-minded maybe. So, you know, we get to Heavy Metal 2000. This is a this is really a different animal. 
And for a good part of me, I thought this, as a sequel to the original film, would pick up on the same, uh, the same approach of telling us different stories and different techniques by different artists. And it really doesn't. It tries to stick with one narrative, which it's fine. But the problem is, I think, that narrative isn't that great. Now, you could say that that's just taking this film at face value, just as what it is. If you don't know anything about the original film or the magazine or even the people behind all of that, you could just watch this purely for the story and maybe for the animation. You're going to be really disappointed. One, the animation style, while I really had high hopes for this, um, it's not great. It looks very uh cartoonish it looks really kind of rough you know especially when the 3d elements the the 3d cgi stuff starts to kind of blend in it really stands out as being pretty subpar and for being a film that came out in 2000 you know cgi was still somewhat new but it wasn't this new i mean we had the matrix come out the year before this film and as much uh, as much visual effects that were in that film, and now of course we're talking about different levels of you know filmmaking talent or or technology, but here it was very clearly an attempt to try and get us you know visually to a certain goal. It just fell short, and so. You know, with all that in mind, I'm not here to really kind of cut it apart, but uh, this film just doesn't work on several different levels. And yet, I applaud the effort because for me, this was something that it showed that heavy metal as an enterprise was still alive, was still trying things. As far as their talents as filmmakers, I can't really speak to that. You know, I don't. I don't have any other reference here. On top of that, you've got uh, our main character here, since we're following one story, one narrative, uh, the main character is named Julie and is played or voiced by Julie Strain. If you're around in the 90s, maybe that was the era you were growing up in, like me, uh, you know, Julie Strain was really kind of a, a just a certifiable smoke show in some ways. That's one thing to to be a star in magazines and in um, you know maybe more uh, adult media, but here going into films, um, yeah, Julie Strain was, and and I say was because unfortunately I think Julie Strain passed like I don't know two years ago, and so you know all respect and all love, feature film acting performing was not one of her strong suits. And yet, it's like she kind of knew that anyway. And so her tone and her approach to filmmaking and, and, and acting, it wasn't concerned about how solid and how real the performances were. It was just having a good time. That was kind of the vibe I took from it. So here, um, there's really not a, a big... There's not a big way to convey that other than the story itself. And the story here, it's not fun. It's not a good time. It's really kind of, 
uh, it's a fantasy epic, let's say, but it's angry and it's vengeful and it's violent. And so those things don't really, they don't really jibe together. And so when you have a a lead character who kind of is in on the joke, but with this film, there's not really a joke. It, I don't know. It's a really confusing dynamic there. And on the other side of that, you've got the villain, Lord Tyler here, is played by Michael Ironside. And if you've ever watched a film from the 80s or 90s, you easily recognize his voice. And so his kind of uh, approach to it, his demeanor, even just through his voice, it fits. It fits his character. It fits this type of story. Um. I just think uh, it's such a mixed bag here. And I mean, after being essentially absent from the feature film landscape for almost 20 years, it seemed like there was, there was maybe some space for the heavy metal style of story and, and animation. And so I'm sure that was a big reason for making this film. Uh, The problem is I just think, um, there wasn't necessarily the same level of talent or maybe direction involved. So here, I just want to say that um, this film is not really that enjoyable. Um, it's actually at this point, you know, maybe if I had seen this when it came out, I would have been like 25, 24, 25 years old. Maybe I would have been more into it. Uh, watching it now at almost twice that age, uh, it just feels really kind of, amateurish and it feels more like what today would be just a fan film you know and that's fine it can be whatever it needs to be but it just doesn't work for me today or or if i would recommend a film to watch i would recommend the original from 1981 Uh, that's when it was released you might find a little more that you you can kind of pick and choose which story or which characters really grab your attention or you enjoy more out of that film. This one, since we're with one story and one set of characters, if you're not in, if you're not feeling it, it's going to be a rough ride. So just keep that in mind. So for me, this one really is a pass. Um, and that's, you know, I, I don't take a lot of pleasure in saying that because I do like the heavy metal enterprise as a whole. And so I do want them to do, interesting and cool and successful stuff. This one, on the other hand, it's going to be a pass. All right, so let's get to the next one. Let's keep this thing moving. Film Streak 191, Waking Life. Your life is yours to create. Yeah, maybe I only exist in your mind. Still just as real as anything else. It seemed like I'd walked into an alternate universe. You haven't met yourself yet. I want real human moments. I'm not in an objective, rational world. I'm just trying to get like a a sense of, of where I am. Just wake up. Do you remember me? It's like I'm being prepared for something. I am a passenger, and I ride, I ride. You a dreamer? All right, so this is a film from 2001, 
is written and directed by Richard Linklater, maybe more famously known from films like Dazed and Confused, um, maybe the Before Trilogy, uh, maybe um, Boyhood more recently. There's plenty of films that he's made over the years. Also a fellow Houston native, um, operates, I think, primarily out of Austin, but a Texas boy. So I appreciate the style and, and the intention of the films that he makes. I'm down with it. So here, I'm watching this film and I'm thinking, well, okay, I like the way this guy tells stories. I like the types of stories he tells. And I even am interested in this animation technique used here. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But let me just get into what is... What is very loosely a premise, um, that's a little harder to really get into because I'm not really sure what the plot of this film is. You know, we have our main character who, in one instance, seems to be having a dream. And in, in other moments, seems to be awake. And yet is still dreaming. And so it's almost like dreams within dreams. And part of it is him exploring those dreams. And part of it is him trying to break free, like trying to wake up from the dreams essentially. And uh, the thing for me is that there's so much kind of jumping around. It feels very episodic. It's like just little short scenes, all kind of connected in series. And so, Nothing, there's no real clear, easy flow to it. And, you know, you could argue, well, that's kind of the nature of dreams. Like things just almost happen at random and uh, things jump over each other and intersect with each other. And maybe that's part of the intention here. Um, The thing that gets me is that there's so much wordy, rambling And not even dialogue, really, but monologues almost. And I could see the point of some of it, but when it really gets into deep philosophical existential questions about the universe and reality and dreams and love and humanity, for for minutes at a time, uh, it becomes exhausting. I almost struggled to figure out like, where is this leading? I mean, the character is trying to understand his situation that he's in a dream or he's in a series of dreams. And yet I think if this film weren't animated, if it weren't presented in the way that it is, this would be either boring or annoying or both. And I, I just feel like, I think the idea of trying to present some really weighty and smart and thoughtful ideas. That's not a problem. You know, let's do that. But I think part of the, the craft of, of, of storytelling, specifically filmmaking is to do it in a clever way. You know, that you're just not pounding someone into the ground with it. You have to find a way to do it where they can enjoy it and maybe not even realize that they're getting a deeper message until maybe later or with some more thought, you know, it's a little bit of the spoonful of sugar mentality, right? It's like, 
I want to hit you with these big ideas and look at what I thought of. But at the same time, it's like, I got to give you a way in. I can't just like word vomit all over you. And I feel like that's a lot of what this film is. Now, the spoonful of sugar in this film appears to be the animation. But that, uh, you know, that is even in itself a little bit of a mixed bag. And I'll tell you why later, but I just have to say that this film, it doesn't really work for me on a narrative and a, and if from a philosophical standpoint, I I understand it, but as a device, it's way, it's gone way too far. You know, the best I could figure out when I was trying to like really summarize what this film is about, there's a scene in this movie that uh, almost sums it up, actually. And I don't know that it was intended to do that, but um, I could see it. You know, there's a there's a scene where there's two characters talking, as is pretty much every scene. And one character is, is a young woman. I think they're like in a coffee shop. She leans over to a young guy who's writing something. And she says, What are you writing? A novel. What's the story? There's no story. It's just people, gestures, moments, bits of rapture, fleeting emotions. In short, the greatest stories ever told. (sighs) Are you in the story? I don't think so, but then I'm kind of reading it and then writing it. Now, think about that. Just think about it, because as soon as that happened, it kind of hit me. There's no point to this. And in fact, it almost feels like a lot of this film does feel like that. It's like regurgitating other people's ideas or thoughts, deep philosophical insights and perspectives and to what end it almost it it almost doesn't even matter it's the greatest story ever told and it's no story and i i just feel like that's maybe there's some kind of deep you know insight there but to me it's also it's a little bit of a cop-out you know Like, I think that's not really how story works, or at least in my mind. That's not what I look for in a story. I don't look for just a series of random things. A story, I think, I guess traditionally, you know, and that's where I lay, is that it has a beginning, middle, and end. And this film has almost none of those. And so I I guess for, for me, this is cool as an experiment and more of a maybe more of a technology demo, you know? So with that in mind, let me get to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get to the better part of this film, which is the animation. You know, the animation here is really interesting because it does use a form of rotoscoping that would have been something we saw in the seventies and eighties. And it almost takes it to a new level. It, it, It evolves the technique using computers. So a lot of this, uh, the style of this film, it was 
created using a a software, a, a tool called Rotoshop, which was uh, either created or developed by Bob Sabiston, who's an animation lead on this film. And here, this proprietary software was able to take footage, like actual camera footage, and using rotoscoping techniques, also create frames in between keyframes. So the effect, though, here's here's where it's really interesting. The effect on screen is that you have a real living, breathing sequence. Any shot, any given shot or scene, it feels alive. You know, animation sometimes can fall a little flat and it can feel a little bit stiff. And even with rotoscoping in the past, you know, a lot of times maybe your main character is rotoscope, but then the background is pretty much locked in. Here, uh, I mean, it's really, it's really interesting to watch. Yeah, and especially when you have from scene to scene, sometimes even shot to shot, different techniques, different like art styles. Like you can tell different artists worked on different parts of the movie. And that's where it gets really, uh, I mean, that's where it becomes amazing to just watch, just sit and watch. That's really the strength of the film is understanding like how this animation was used, maybe how it was developed, but also how it was used to tell this story. I just wish there was a little more story to go with it. So look, if you're into animation or you're into telling stories, maybe in a really unconventional way, or maybe just, you know, a really unconventional story. Okay. This is probably your lane, but if you're looking for something that's a little more clear cut, a little more direct and, and to the point, uh, this might not be the one. You know, it doesn't really have a, a, a sense of urgency or drama or even really any conflict to it. It's It just kind of plays out and takes its time and just takes you for a ride. So if that's what you're into, this might be it. If you're a hardcore stoner, this is probably it. Um, I would I, Personally, I would say it's a pass. I'm glad I saw it, but I don't really have an interest in watching it again. And I can't really recommend anybody else does. So with that in mind, we're going to keep it moving. Here we are. Filmstreak 192, A Scanner Darkly. It may just be my imagination. Whatever it is that's watching. It's not human. Gentlemen, you are about to witness for approximately 61 cents the perfect homemade silencer. That sure is some silencer. Just drive over to my place, kick back, get some tequila. <laughs> They're in my hair, on my skin. They're all over the place. This is a world getting progressively worse. Can we not agree on that? What's on the dessert menu? Damage has taken place to the normally dominant left hemisphere, and the right hemisphere is attempting to compensate. Two hemispheres of my brain are competing? Yes. I could be murdered. How'd I get here? I tip my hat to any 
entity that could bring so much integrity to evil. What if they come in through the back door or the bathroom window like that infamous Beatles song? To sacrifice someone without them ever knowing it. What does the scanner see? Into the head? Into the heart? Does it see into me? Clearly? All right, so here we go. Now, this is a film from 2006, also written and directed by Richard Linklater. It's based on a Philip K. Dick novel. And similar to Waking Life, this uses a very distinct animation style. It's pretty much the next step beyond what was used in that film. And here, though, I think we have a really interesting and complex story, actually. But a story that's also intriguing. Like, I want to know what's going to happen in this story. And I'll give you a little bit of the premise. You know, we're, we're looking at a world, uh, um, a near future or present day setting where there's a drug called Substance D that has become kind of a, a, an, an epidemic. Um, the addiction to this drug is so powerful that uh, law enforcement and, and just different agencies have tried to find ways to stop this. And one of those ways is to infiltrate these either drug dealers or people that are in, in this culture, the, the criminals, using this uh, undercover technology called um, a scramble suit. And what this is, it's basically a cloak, a full body suit that morphs your appearance so that you can essentially be anybody and nobody. And so one of the the reasons for the technology is to essentially remain anonymous, to move through the world without identity. And so when you have that technology paired with this agency called New Path is, is like a almost like a corporate institutionalized rehab agency. You know, they're there to quote unquote help people get better. Uh, meanwhile, you have law enforcement that are trying to figure out like who's behind this stuff and and how is it happening? How is it moving through the, the community, through society? And you've got our main character here, who's uh, uh, Bob Arctor, who is played by Keanu Reeves. And he happens to also live with people who are doing this drug. Uh, you've got Winona Ryder. She plays Donna. You've got Robert Downey Jr. He's James. And you've got uh, Rory Cochran, who plays Charles. He's the one that we're, I think we're introduced to first. And he's clearly like underwater with this. He is well into an addiction and, and having hallucinations and all kinds of paranoia. And so this, this film at least kind of takes us a little bit into that world of what that is like as an addict and trying to maintain and trying to not totally lose it. And the interesting thing is when you 
pair that with this animation. This animation, at first, it almost seems like, why? Like, this could have just easily been a live-action film. But when the scramble suit starts to become a factor, that's where I think the animation really shines because it allows you that leap to say, oh, here's technology that can make you, it can really scramble your face and your appearance that you are constantly shifting your identity. And because it's also a suit, you're never really sure who's in the suit. So you can't even trust what your eyes might be telling you, what your ears might be telling you. It, it, it does open up a lot of big questions about identity and even like how someone can be working against the cause that they are tasked with doing. You know, you have Arctur here who is playing this ever undercover agent who's trying to get into this world and trying to understand it. And meanwhile, it's almost like his supervisors, his colleagues, they don't recognize that he is the one that's in the middle of it. So which side is he really on? Is he an addict, just too far gone into this world? Or is he an agent who is actually on top of it and knows what he's doing? And by the end of the film, we get an idea of that, and it's, it's some things are revealed. So here's what I want to say, though, about this film is aside from the story itself and the animation, and I just feel like this is actually a really great pairing of the two. You know, the animation here is really used to a different effect. This is not a story about any fantastical worlds or monsters or aliens or anything like that. It really is primarily focused on real people, real characters, and those characters, because of the cast, they're really solid and they really are distinct and you want to know what's going to happen to them. And so all the things really lined up here. I think that this was a, a film where this type of animation, maybe in Waking Life, we saw like the the kind of, you know, we, we saw the attempt to try and get there. Here, we got there. This is a film that I really think is much better story-wise and even animation-wise. You can tell they really refined it and locked it in a little better. Uh, using Rotoshop also. Um, you know, the question that comes out of it, though, is watching this film, this is from 2006, how come nobody made more films like this in this style with this technique or this software, let's say, because I feel like uh, this has some benefits. This has some strengths to it. And yet maybe it's because I, maybe it's because like CGI, like traditional CGI has gotten so good. It, it basically presents a, in, in a way, the better solution to the same problem. You know, here we're trying to tell a story that is grounded in reality, but it does have one or two uh, science fiction elements, and those are visual in nature. And so I could see someone maybe trying to make this film today using really high-end photorealistic CGI, to do like the face identity shifting and, and all of that with the scramble suits. But there's something about that in this film that it, I don't know, it just works better to me. And, you know, the funny thing is you watch this film and if you just squint, you know, squint your eyes, it doesn't look like CGI. It doesn't look like animation. It, it just looks like a feature film. 
Yeah, it's kind of a weird side effect, I guess. But that's how close and how realistic the animation is because it's based on the actual footage. So there's a real benefit to this animation style, and it works in this story. Maybe it just doesn't work for a lot of other stories. So, all right. So that uh, that's a Scanner Darkly. That's a recommendation. I do like this film much better. And so that's one to see. That's one to check out. All right. So let's keep it moving. Film Streak 193, The Spine of Night. light of the gods. The sacred bloom traveled, and my dreams traveled with it. It is unspeakable power. Whatever you dream, you will have. It's too late to change what has happened. But not too late to change what will be. Why bring me here? We all have masters to serve. She will know sorrow. Our people have suffered long enough. I am enlightened. Okay, so this is a film from 2021, pretty recent. Uh, it's directed by Philip Gellat, or Philip Gellat, and Morgan Galen King. Um, also voiced by uh, a few familiar faces. We've got Lucy Lawless, Richard E. Grant, Patton Oswalt. Uh, there's Joe Manginello. There's uh, maybe one or two other voices that you might recognize. But this is a film that is interesting because... It uses rotoscoping, the, the technique we were just talking about, but it goes back towards the Ralph Bakshi 70s and 80s use of rotoscoping. You know, it's, it's a little more traditional in that way. You know, the rotoscoping feels much more... Uh, the final effect is very hand-drawn, and so it's totally a throwback, you know, which is cool. It, it's fine. I, I'm interested in watching it. And yet, the problem I have, there's a couple of issues with the film that are really kind of hard to look past. And one of those is the story. Now, I get you want to see a, a fantasy epic along the lines of something that would have been of the time, in the 70s and 80s, maybe. You know, I feel like this does bring in elements of fantasy storytelling, like from novels and from comics. 
Uh, it's clearly inspired, or at least to my eyes, it's inspired by a lot of work from either like Frank Frazetta or, or, or even like uh, Boris Vallejo, uh, just different artists of that era, which is cool because I'm into that stuff. But here, the, 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 the story itself, it, it's a little too convoluted. It's a little too, um, it just doesn't hold your attention. And I just want to say that, you know, as much work that clearly went into the film and as much thought and enthusiasm, I really wish it would have had a, a more distinct and more clear-cut story. Now, I can tell you it, it is essentially about a struggle for power in this epic world where there's this this plant called the bloom that has this magical power to it, but it can be dangerous and it's almost limitless, but you have to wield it, you know, with the right intentions, with honor and all that. And so it trades hands over the course of the film from different characters and some use it for good, some use it for bad. And that's kind of where it ends up. You know, it's, it's just a, a, let's say decades long struggle to grab control of this plant and use it the right way for mankind or for their people or for power, right? You know, when you put it that way, it's like the characters don't even matter. The settings don't matter. Even the plant itself doesn't really matter. It's almost a little bit of like a red herring. It's just a thing that's there that everybody's kind of grabbing for. Meanwhile, some of the voice acting, some of the performances here are not, uh, it's just really uneven. You know, some people sound like they're really leaning into the character. There's a lot of affectation. There's a lot of intensity. And others just sound like they're talking to friends at a coffee shop. And when you have two of those different voices or, or multiple voices and characters going at each other in the same scene, I it's such a mishmash. And, you know, look, I even put it this way. Watching this film, some of these characters don't look like the actors that are playing with them. Now, obviously, it's all animated. But the animation is based on footage. It's based on actual recorded footage for the rotoscoping. And so when your main character here, I think is uh, her name is Zod, is played by Lucy Lawless or voiced by Lucy Lawless, well, the character we're seeing on screen doesn't look like Lucy Lawless. And some of the other characters, the character played by Patton Oswalt or Richard E. Grant, they don't look like them. You know, if you try to like kind of reverse engineer it in your head a little bit, like how they do this stuff, I almost wonder, did the cast of this film, the voice cast, did they come in afterwards and do the voices later? You know, kind of dub the voices over. And I feel like some of the, the main characters here, Lucy Lawless, Richard E. Grant, they really lean into this whole vibe, this fantasy genre, this type of storytelling, this type of dialogue, and they do a great job. Even Joe Manganiello, who his character is not in the film a lot, but you could tell he is going for it. Some of these other actors, though, I... Patton Oswalt, I, you know, I guess I'm not really a fan maybe, but I, I don't like his voice. <laughs> and, 
And when you've got so much of a, of a, of a key character with his voice in this movie, it becomes irritating that he doesn't affect it at all. He doesn't give it any kind of dialect. He doesn't give it any kind of power. It just sounds like Patton Oswalt talking. And it goes for several other characters where they don't, it's almost like they didn't realize this was a fantasy film. Like this takes place in a really strange and grimy and, and brutal world. And why are we just talking like we're just homies? And I think that, that look, that's not just this film. That happens in different feature film, uh, animated feature films where somebody's in a different movie. And the thing is with this film, it's just, it's so many of the characters. You know, that's where I think this starts to fall apart. One is in the voices. The other is in the story itself. It just becomes a little bit of a slog to get through. And the third, for me, the thing that it didn't really dawn on me until about halfway through the film. But once you see it, you can't really unsee it. And this is kind of a thing that I can't really fault like the, the filmmakers or the artists or anything. It's just the nature of this type of technique, I'm sure. And probably also the limited resources and budget that this team had to work with. But you know, if you watch this film, there are no like moving shots. Every pretty much every shot, other than like a zoom or like a pan, like up and down or left and right, every shot is pretty much locked down. It's a static shot, and the characters move through it one way or another. Even when there are fight scenes, it's just characters coming into frame, fighting, and moving out of frame. And so it feels really stiff. And maybe that's by design. Maybe this is intended to be a, a throwback to that era. But I think when you see something like previous film, A Scanner Darkly, and how much they use handheld cameras and moving cameras, it just adds so much more of a dynamic energy to it. And that's just a film where people are moving around in buildings and homes and in the real world, let's say. Here we have this fantastical setting where people are in these big battles and there are fights with swords and so much room for interesting, visually dynamic camera work that I thought that that was, um, that was really a missed opportunity. Let's put it that way. And from what I can tell, it was only a team of four animators that worked on this film and Reportedly, it took them seven years to finish this. And so, you know, with that in mind, the animation is consistent. It does hold to a pretty solid standard of quality. But it's just uh, what everything that's underneath it, you know, the story, some of the characters, even, even a little bit of the direction, I think, is it's not, it's just uninspired. It just feels like there was a little more we could have pushed this. And so, uh, I, you know, I acknowledge the effort. I applaud the effort. Um, I just wish there was a little more to it. So for me, it's a pass. Maybe this totally would grab you, but for me, it just doesn't work. You know, the, the, the whole, the fantasy speak, the red herring of, of this plant in the story. It's, 
it kind of gets exhausting and it kind of gets just um, tiring. And I feel like if this were a live action film, I feel like this would be why this type of story, maybe not necessarily this film, but this type of story would be why those things eventually just fell into parody. You know, it, it is not self-aware at all. And with, you know, when you compare it to films that are out today, more contemporary writing style, or even the tone of some films, it acknowledges that it, this, this all might be a little ridiculous, right? You see that in other films these days. And here, there's none of that. And so you don't have to be all in or you're going to find yourself really questioning, kind of giving this a lot of side eye. And unfortunately, I guess for me, that's where I fell. I just couldn't really, I couldn't get with it, you know? So that's a pass for me. All right, let's get to our last one here. Well, let's get to Film Streak 194, Mad God. Okay, so this is a film from 2021, and this is written and directed by Phil Tippett, who, you know, pioneered a lot of stop-motion animation, basically pushing the whole technique forward into go-motion, which would, you know, later be used in, like, Star Wars and Jurassic Park and a lot of big feature films where you had that need for a tactile, real type of creature or animation. This film is very unique. And I say very unique in terms of there's no dialogue in the film. And the plot itself is extremely thin. And yet, at the same time, it's like, it, it's just, a, visually, it's just a feast for the eyes. You you want to see what's going to happen next. You want to watch what goes on. Not necessarily because you're invested in like, oh, get to the next thing or let's find out the secret or whatever. You, It's just so inventive. It's so imaginative that you think wh- whoever thought up what I'm watching right now, what else did they think of? What else is coming next? Uh, all that said, the picture that we get painted here, the the world, this setting in particular is so grotesque and violent and twisted, it's hard to describe almost. 
But very loosely, the plot is that there are these men, I say men because we never see their faces, but these characters that are sent. Basically, uh, from what I could tell, they're basically sent into hell. You know, they're put into this little capsule thing and they're dropped or lowered down into the depths of this world where there's this machinery and there are these beings and creatures and all sorts of weird, strange things that are happening. It's so twisted and so bizarre and surreal. And yet the animation here, because it's done with this stop-motion style, it feels alive. And then when you blend it in with some live action, there's some very light use of CGI, I feel like. And then a lot of it is compositing, like blending all those things together. And you really create this world that is unlike anything else. But the main thing is seeing the real objects, the real textures of things. Something about it's just this gritty, tactile feel. It's mesmerizing. And it's really unlike anything else. And when you throw that in also with the level of imagination, like these aren't just characters like traditionally designed and worlds like settings and you know it is done with such a crazed mentality like whoever is the the art direction or whoever really came up with the, the character designs kudos to you because whoever that is uh you've got a mind unlike a lot of other people it's brilliant i mean i just feel like there's a little bit of this that that is like a um, a throwback to some of the films, like in the '90s, Tim Burton, Henry Selleck, you know, something like A Nightmare Before Christmas or James and Giant Peach. There are elements of that because it was also with go motion or stop motion. So there are elements of this that kind of fit. You could see coming out of those films, or the the let's say the style. But this is way darker, way worser. <laughs> this is really, this is really something else, and it's not all. Uh, it's not all comfortable. There is some stuff in here that is really disturbing. And yet, of course, because it's animation, you you're able to have a little bit of distance from it. I, I just think this is really something that's interesting. Apparently, it was very long in the making, maybe decades in the making. Now, I also say, though, the thing that I think really helps this and sells it, really, is the sound design, which I wasn't expecting. But there's so much of the work with the sound design, sound editing, you can feel it. Because you're seeing real objects interact with other objects, and you're seeing even in some in some scenes, you're seeing real people, and there's like a, a greasiness, a griminess, a dirtiness. Uh, there's, you can feel it because of the sound. Like you can feel the leather rubbing against leather, or you can feel the clanging of metal, or you can feel stepping on 
dirt and stuff because you can hear it. You know, without that, it's a little harder to connect it when you're just watching it. But the sound design is really top notch here too. It really works. And I think with all these other films, I think that was something that kind of was glossed over or kind of just done, you know, afterwards. But here I feel like it's really important part of the film. It's part of the experience. So this is definitely a recommendation for me, even if it's just on a visual and a stylistic level. Uh, I, I can't really say there's a lot for the plot here, even though it is intriguing and I do want to understand it better. And that's the thing. The plot here is almost, it's like paper thin. It's not even really obvious what is happening. And yet I know something's happening. I know there's a point to this. So for me, then the, the goal is to turn it and let's watch this again. Let me dig a little deeper. Let me try to understand this. I want to understand this. Some of the other films, I got it. I understand it. And I don't really, I don't really care too much. That's an interesting dilemma. You know, as someone who is trying to tell a story, how much do you give and how much do you hold back? And how much do you give? And maybe you give it in a little bit of a, a vague or open-ended way, but draws the viewer, still draws the viewer in to want to know more. That's an interesting idea there. And this film really kind of does that. So it's a recommendation for me. That's Mad God. Check it out. All right. So look, that was another round of animated films from 2000 on. I do want to go back and look at more older animated films, but I wanted to touch on these because I feel like these are different enough, showing a little bit of how some of these techniques have changed and even how these techniques might not really work for a mainstream type of film because their stories, their ideas are so different. Meanwhile, um, I do also want to say, though, a couple of these films might be a little hard to find. Let me just say that. Uh, A Scanner Darkly. I was only able to find the streaming online through the Canopy service, which um, which I've talked about before, but that is Canopy, K-A-N-O-P-Y. And you go there. If you have a library card to your local public library, you can create an account. You can stream any of their films for free. So that's something. If, you, if you're looking for some of these films that are a little hard to find, that might be a place to find it. Um, some of these are also only on Shutter which uh, if you have AMC plus, I think that comes with it. So that's a good place to find some of these films. Shutter really kind of stepping it up, you know, in the last few years, becoming a presence, not just horror films, but also science fiction, fantasy, animated stuff. They're really doing some cool things over there. So Shutter, I also recommend you check that one out. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking this out. If you want to uh, see more episodes, you want to subscribe, you go to filmstreak.com. Um, you can also sign up there. You can get episodes directly to your email. So you don't have to even use a podcast app or service or whatever. It just comes straight to you and you can listen to it whenever you like. Uh, also, I do have a list of all of these films. All the films I've talked about on Filmstreak. We're up to 194 now. And so I have those all in IMDb. I have a list there. And that way you can go, you can find out more about these films. You can add them to your watch list. You can even find out some of them if they are streaming somewhere, if they're available to watch. 
So go do that. Uh, in the meantime, hey, just uh, hang out, be cool, stay safe, and watch some new movies. And I'll talk to you later. Thank you.